We serve ourselves. It's true. We serve ourselves. We live in a, in a culture where life, everything around us, everything in this culture says, hey, you know, you need to look out for you. You need to look out for number one. What are your interests? What are your, um, what's, what's your life all about? Um, what are you getting out of this? How about you? Take time for yourself. Movies, television, literature, the books that are read, uh, so many of them are about people finding themselves, like breaking out of the mold that every other people are creating for them of society or family relationships. You do this, you need to be like this. And they're saying, no, no, no. I need to, I need to start serving myself. I need to to figure out who I am and somehow they're able to save themselves. That's, that's the narrative in so much of, of our life. We serve ourselves. But that's not all the bad news. We're also joyless. How many of you are... How many of you... There you go. Perfect example. Christopher's face. Totally joyless. He's, he's the... He's the the most joyless person I've, I've ever known. We deal with anxiety. We deal with depression. We deal with... Uh, things just aren't the way they should be. We're struggling through. We're trying to put on a happy face. We may smile and nod, but inside we're torn up. We're, 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 we're being beaten down and we're feeling like, uh, is, this, is this worth it? We're joyless. We, we are prayerless. Those of you who are here today, you're here today because you're seeking the things of God. Nobody shows up to the community center in Moxie on a Sunday morning between 10 a.m. and 1100, 11.30, 12, whatever, whenever we get out of here. Nobody comes to worship in a place like this unless they're seeking the things of God. But the reality is, the truth is, that we are prayerless. We don't pray. We don't seek God. We don't talk to Him. And we don't listen to Him like we should. We, there's a sense in all of us that our prayer lives are, are a little lackluster. And maybe a little bit immature. We tend to be prayerless. And even if we genuinely have a dynamic prayer life, there are those dry spells where we go through and go, oh gosh, I just, I just don't feel connected to God. I don't really want to spend time on my knees. I don't really want to spend time talking to God. We compete with each other. I've seen this in a lot of places. I don't see it so much, but here in the River Church... But it's there. It's there. It's insidious how it's there. We, you know, I, I, wanna, I want to be seen as, as put together and uh, like somebody else. And I, I want to serve in a way or I want to be recognized for, for what I do. And, and, and we, we get into these little competitions and then we start talking about our church like it's the only church in the valley. I mean, it's... it's a, hey, I... If you don't love the River Church, if you're here, you're a member, and you don't love the, the River Church, that's a problem. But we, we, have, we, have a, a, we have partners everywhere. We have people who are serving, um, glorifying God, worshiping Him, serving in many different ways, in many unique, unique ways. But this, this thing of, of competition comes up. 
And instead of partnership, we're, we're sort of working against each other. There's a competitiveness as, as believers and as churches that just happens. And, and if we're not careful, it can consume us. It can, it can drive everything we do and all of our decisions or everything we don't do. How about this? And I, I might step on a few toes here. But our affections, the things we love, the things we desire, are worldly. They're distorted. Old, a good old English word was perverted. They're perverted. They're twisted. Another one is carnal of the flesh. We love things we shouldn't love. We desire things we shouldn't desire. We love and desire and lust and long for in ways we shouldn't. Our affections are distorted. And then finally, we worship anything, anything in this world but God. John Calvin said, the human heart is an idol factory. And we are manufacturing idols constantly. Finding things to worship, finding things to elevate, finding things to value over all else that are not God. And even though, even when we come, we say, no, I'm about God. I'm about worshiping God. I'm about giving Him glory. That's what my life is all about. We, we pretend. We pretend. We fool ourselves. We think we're there to honor God. We think we're there for the glory and praise of God, but we're not. That's the bad news. This is the bad news that this passage, these first 11 verses of Philippians address. So, I hope you feel, um, I hope you feel effectively hopeless right now. Because I want to show you from this passage that there is hope. That there is an answer for that. The answer for that is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Alright. So, wherever you are right now, would you stand with me in honor of God's word? Stand with me and I will read this passage aloud. I'm reading from the English Standard Version as, as, I'm, uh, as is my... Uh, my tradition here, but I'm going to read this aloud as you follow along with me. And it begins this way. It's a letter from Paul to the Philippians. It begins this way. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints who are in Christ Jesus, excuse me, who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. 
For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? God, uh, in the next few minutes as we look at this passage together, uh, may, may my heart be right before you. May my words be clear and be honoring to you. You are our God. You are our rock, our redeemer. We love you. We give you this time for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I want to talk about the gospel effect. Philippians 1 verse 6 says this, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It means that in in that promise there, that, that's a promise inspired by the Holy Spirit to Paul. He wrote that down. He encouraged the Philippians, this, this small little church plant in this little Roman colony of Philippi that was, that was struggling, that was poor, that was trying to do good work, that had so many wonderful things going for it. And they were discouraged and they were wondering, is God really here for us? What is God doing? What does this all mean? Are we going to have a future? Can we go on? And Paul is saying that God has begun this work in you. He brought you the gospel. You listened to it. You responded in faith to it. And He is going to complete this in you. It's a guarantee. He said, I'm sure of this. Oh, some of the older translations, I am confident in this. This is where my confidence is in. God, who has done this work in you, will bring it to completion. He will do it. That's where our confidence rises. I said this, I shared a testimony last week. I had that song in my head. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's where our hope is. That's where our confidence is. That's what Paul says. This is the gospel effect. The gospel effect is that it, 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 this thing that God has done in us is going to continue. He is going to keep doing it. Later on in this in this letter, he says something rather strange to us. Something that seems like a contradiction when he tells, when he exhorts them, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. And we think, oh man, I, I gotta work. I gotta do this. I got, my salvation is dependent on me. I gotta work. And the very next thing he says, for, he gives a reason. For, it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. That's a beautiful thing. We work, we strive, we do all of this stuff. And all along, it's God who is working it out in us. He is the one who is at work. So that is the beauty of the good news of Jesus. That He came, that He lived, that He was perfect and sinless, and that He died for us, for every single one of us, for our sins, past, present, and future, and all that we would do. And He knows it all, and He suffered and died, tortured to death, 
buried in a grave, but the grave could not hold him. And he broke out and he came to new life, resurrected, a transformed, resurrected body. And he lives forever. And he has done that for you and me. And nothing is going to hold him back. Nothing is going to stop that. And if, and if Jesus lives in that resurrected form, if death and sin and, and all of that could not, cannot come against Him, then it can't come against us either. No sin we commit can separate us from His love for us in Christ Jesus. No sin against us can, can create shame and, and ugliness and dirtiness that can make us unclean before God because of what Jesus has done for us. And no death in this life, no pain, no suffering can end it for us because of what Jesus has done. The gospel effect is so profound. And, and the challenge for us, if you believe today, the challenge for us is to put your confidence in it, in what God has done for you in Christ. If you're not in Christ, the question for you is, are you sure of this? Can you say with confidence that God is doing a work in me? That God is... is bringing me closer to Him. God is saving me in this life and for the next. Alright, let's look at some things though. The gospel effect. I, I said that there are some problems. We serve ourselves. We're joyless. We are prayerless. We compete with each other. We have worldly or distorted affections. We worship anything but God or we pretend we worship God. Those are big problems, but this passage addresses every single one of them and in turn, let's look at them. The gospel effect turns sinners into saints and servants. The gospel effect turns sinners into saints and servants. Paul, addressing the Philippians, calls himself a servant of Christ Jesus. Now, if you had known Paul before he met Jesus, you would have thought, this guy is not a servant of Jesus. This guy is the opposite. He's angry. He's violent. He is, he is very religious, but a, a kind of a religious nut job. That's the kind of guy he was. Um, he was willing to persecute followers of Jesus, even to death. And he would, and looking back on that, he realized, I was the greatest sinner. I was, I was the chief sinner. I was number one. And he says, no, here's what I am. I am a servant of Jesus Christ. A, the, a servant, this word um, in, the, in the Greek language is doulos. It means a slave or a bond servant. It's somebody who, has, who is indebted to another person. It's somebody who, who, who maybe has, has owes his life to somebody else and so says, I am going to live my, the rest of my life to serve this one person because of what they have done for me. 
He owes a life debt indeed because it was paid for by Jesus himself. He was a sinner, but when he met Jesus, he became a servant, a slave. But he also talks about um, to the saints. He calls the, the church in Philippi saints in Christ Jesus. And this word saints is, is, um, is really, um, it can be really tricky for us because um, many of us have an idea of saints as these especially righteous, uh, uh, like super Christians. These people who have done wonderful things, maybe they've done miracles or they're, they, don't, they don't ever make any mistakes or they have the whole Bible memorized or just crazy ideas of, of these super Christians. And, and that's not what the Bible says at all. He, he said, he's saying, you are all saints. You, church, are saints. If you're in Christ Jesus, you are people who are set apart from the world. You no longer belong to the world anymore because the Savior has come and redeemed you and He saved you out of this world of darkness and sin and He has now set you apart. You belong to Him now. You're, you're saints in Christ Jesus. These are people who live their lives. They're full of grace and peace. As Paul greets the Philippians. The gospel effect turns sinners into saints and servants. And I guess the question for us is, is that, is that how we're living our lives? I mean, is that where our, our identity is? I mean, if, if the gospel has affected us, if the gospel has come into our lives, if, if we have come to know Jesus and, and come to know the greatness of what He has done for us, is our life marked by this? Service to, to one who we owe our very life to. Uh, is, our, is our life marked by, uh, by separateness from the rest of the world? Maybe, maybe if we continue on and see some of these, the other gospel effects, you'll have an answer to that question. The gospel effect turns sinners into saints and servants. The gospel effect inspires joyful prayers and gratitude. The very first thing that he says to the Philippians is, I thank my God in all my rem remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. How many of you, when you pray for other people, have joy in your heart for them? Many of them, right? Are there some people in your life? Maybe they're family members. <laughs> Maybe they're in this church. Maybe they're other Christians. And the idea of praying for them, first of all, think, I want to pray for them, but I want to pray those imprecatory prayers like they, are, they have in, in the Psalms where you're praying for God to curse them. Um, I'm not... No, that's not, it's not that kind of prayer. It's not that kind of a joyful prayer where there's but the kind of prayer where there's real joy in your heart when you think of other people I'll tell you what that's hard for me sometimes that's hard for me sometimes when I see the ugliness when I, of sin in, in a person's life and, and, I, and I see division and disunity or I, I, and I, it's really hard sometimes to pray with joy Paul says he does it. He prayed for joy for these people. When he thought of Lydia, 
uh, a merchant woman who was the first convert, her and a group of women who had a little prayer group down by the river in Philippi. He, he thought of her and those ladies and he prayed with joy for them and he said, you know what? Those rich ladies, I'm praying for, I'm praying for them and I'm thanking God for them. And man, I have joy in my heart when I pray for them. And then he thought of, he thought of that unnamed slave girl I don't know what her name was. Maybe her name was Amy or something. Uh, oh, there's an Amy here. How about um, Rebecca? There's no Rebecca here right now. You know, he thought of Becky and he, and he thought, I am joyful when I think of her and I pray for her. And he probably thought, you know what? Um, she, she, she was saved from that, from that demon possession. But then... She went back into this addiction and then she had this problem and then she's come back and, and she's come and gone and she's been unfaithful at times but, but we know there's something, something real in her and, and he thinks of her and he doesn't think, he doesn't think you know, this, this, this is a person who I'm just so frustrated with and I just want to write her off. But he's thinking about her and he's saying, I'm praying for you all, all of you with joy. And he's thinking about the jailer He's thinking about this, this lifetime, this, this military man who spent his life serving in the Roman army. And he's saying, I'm praying for him and his whole household who came to faith. And my prayers for them, I'm filled with joy when I, when I think of them. And he's thankful to God for them. <laughs> He loves these people and he wants to talk to God about them. The gospel does something to our, our prayers. When we think of what Jesus has done for us, it, 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 it affects me. It makes me want to pray. When I get frustrated with people, when I get frustrated with this world, I don't want to pray. But when I think about what God has done in my life, what Jesus has done for me, it inspires my prayers. And now I want to pray for people. I want to pray for people who are unlovely. I want to pay, pray for people who have said mean, nasty things to me or against me. I want to pray for those who I say I love. We want to talk to God about these people. Maybe um, today, one point of application would be just to write down a few of those names. <laughs> Write down a few of those names that are, of, of people who are frustrating you and ask, God, how can I be joyful in my prayers for them? How can I be grateful for their part in my life? Gospel effect. It turns sinners into saints and servants. It inspires joyful prayers and gratitude. And it's the basis for our work together. It's the basis for our work together. He goes on, he continues on, and, he, and one of the things he says about one of the things he says about the Philippians that he's he's praying for them about and he's grateful for them about is in verse five, their partnership with the gospel. They had a partnership, a togetherness. This is this is that that word that um, in the in the original Greek language, it's it's the word that wins spelling bees. Right? It, it, it's the word koinonia. And it, and 
you know, you don't even have to be a, a 10-year-old or 11-year-old whiz. All you got to do is just hang around the church enough and, and listen to me preach and throw out a few Greek words every once in a while and you too can win a spelling bee. <laughs> that was the winning word for the script spelling bee this year. So you know, the national spelling bee. The word koinonia. This koinonia is translated here as partnership. It's a togetherness. It's, it's, it's something that unites people together. It's more than just fellowship. It's more than just sharing a meal together or having a potluck. As important as those things are, and those are you, can't really, you can't really have, any, have things in common if you're not sharing meals together. It's kind of hard to fellowship if you're not even spending time together. But it's more than just having that little activity once a week or once a month or once a year. It's a part, it is shared togetherness. It, it's, Paul is emphasizing this, by the way, in a very subtle way. Because he doesn't just say, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. He uses the word y'all. He's saying you all. He's, he's, he's using this, this collective term over and over and he, and he emphasizes it by adding this word all. I, I'm pr- making my prayer of mind for you all um, with joy because of your partnership. And I'm sure of this, he began a good work on you is, will complete it. It is right for me to feel this way about you all for you are all partakers with me of grace. He's yearning for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Over and over and over again, he's just he's hammering home this togetherness, this idea that they are together in the gospel. That what the gospel has done has brought a bunch of people who are very different and have very different interests. We don't all love the same things. We don't all enjoy the same things. We don't all eat the same foods. We don't all come from the same backgrounds. We don't all have the same family values in terms of how we raise our kids or or the kinds of homes we want to live in or the kinds of cars we want to drive in or the things that we want to do on the weekends. We don't all have the same interests, but what brings brings us all together is the gospel. That's what brought them together in Philippi. Can you imagine that? A rich uh, merchant lady, a slave girl, and a military man. That's your core team. Get to it. Plant a church. But what brought them together was the gospel. And then they shared that with other people. They weren't competing for, with each other. And they weren't competing with other churches. When Paul packed his, his duffel bag and went to the next city, they said, Paul, you're still, you, you still belong to us. We still love you. You're still, you're still a, a part of us. We are going to pray for you. We're going to send finances to you. Do you have a need? We're going to send help to you. And they did that once and again, Paul says. He testified later in this letter as to, as to the generosity of the Philippian church. They saw this gospel as the basis for their work together. I think about this. Um, this is very important for me. And I, and I told you that this passage really, um, really affects me and it's, it's very meaningful to me personally when I think of the work that God has called us to do. Uh, here in Moxie, you know, we, um, we sometimes, we sometimes, uh, I can't help it, but it is, it's, a, it's a problem with language, and that is that sometimes we talk about, um, we planted a church, 
And we say things like, we planted the church, or I'm the church planter, um, or I'm the pastor, or I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And, and, and all of that seems to be kind of on, on us, me. But the reality of it is that this has never been about me, or we, Cheryl and I, or our family. We have always had partnership. We have always had fellowship with others. We have always had others assisting us. Before we arrived here, there was a church that had a vision for this community. And there were people who were already enlisted in the work before we even showed up. There were people who were being prepared in their hearts to be here. We just come into the... Just like a, just like a river. <laughs> you walk into the middle of that river and you do something there and you splash the water around and you go, wow, look what I just did. I mean, But that water started long, long before. That river's been flowing. And we're just stepping into that stream. And that's what the River Church is all about anyway. It's about what God is doing, and we're just stepping into it at a point in time, in a place in time, to be used by Him for whatever it is that He wants us to do. And so we've had churches and individuals who've been our partners from, the, from day one. Our association of churches who, went, who grew from, well, I'm not sure if we can you know, help you guys out here, but you know, good luck, to... Here's a $60,000 check to help you with your building. God is good. He's given us one another. And He's given us other churches and partners so that we can share the work together and we can glory in what He is doing. It's the basis for our work together as churches and it's our basis for our work together as individuals in our communities, our neighborhoods, and our missional communities and everything else that we have going on. The gospel effect inspires not only joyful prayers and it's the basis for our work together, but inspires godly affection. The gospel effect inspires godly affection. That's the next um, point here that I want us to look at. And, and look, at, look with me again at, at um, verse 8 and um, 9. He says, For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And, and then he, and he goes on, It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Oh, well, let's go back to verse 7 too. I, I skipped over 7, but what does he say in verse 7? He says, it's right for me to feel this way or think this way about you all because why? I hold you in my heart. He holds them in his heart. He yearns for them with the affection of Christ Jesus. He's talking about longing. He's talking about desire. And I gotta be, I gotta be honest with you. Anytime in our culture we talk about longing or we talk about desire or we talk about passion, it is almost always distorted. It's almost always turned into something kind of ugly and 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 with certain kinds of connotations, right? Need I say more? But he's talking about an affection, a godly affection for his, his family, 
His church. He loves those people. So you could say, man, I love you, man. I love you, man. And there's nothing weird or, or, something, or whatever about it because we can love one another in Christ with godly affection. And it's a beautiful thing and it's how it's supposed to be. But here we are. We live in a world of... And I'm going to step on some toes because we all have some very strong feelings about things like this, but we live in a world of pornography. We live in a world of homosexuality. We live in a world of gender confusion. And those, all of those things are very, very painful and personal with a lot of people. But the gospel gives us and inspires in us godly affection. Love that we should have. True love. True affection. And when we are seeking it in Christ, we find it. Not in those other ways. And the highest, I'll, I'll say this, I believe that the highest form of godly affection is that found in Christian fellowship. I love my family, my brother, my sister, my nephew, uh, even though he's joyless. Look at the poor guy. Not really. I love my family. But I'll tell you what, God has given me a longing and a yearning for my church family that I've never experienced in other places at other times. And, it, and I'll tell you what, it's painful. It's painful to have that yearning and that longing. It's painful, you know why? Because it's not always reciprocated. It's not always, it doesn't always work out the way you, you want it to. Sometimes you love and you love and you love and then people hurt you. It's very, it, it can be very painful. But it is, in my mind, the kind of godly affection that Paul is demonstrating for us and encouraging in the Philippians. And he's, in, and he's saying, that's, that's what this gospel has done in me. It has given me a love. A love for at a point where he shares with another church, he says, we not only shared the gospel with you, but we shared our very lives with you. Because we love you. What kind of godly affection is being expressed in your relationships. Saying you have to become a hugger. I kind of am. I apologize for that. <laughs> I, would, I would like to just hug everybody. But I, I'm holding myself back. At least a little bit. But I'm not saying that needs to be how you express it all. But how are you showing your love for each other? That's how the world is going to know that we're His disciples. John 13, verses 34 and 35. If we have love for one another. How are we demonstrating that affection for each other? There are probably people in your church, in your life, who you don't spend a whole lot of time with, but they need to be shown some love and affection, some care. Alright, finally, and I do mean that finally, the gospel effect results in transformed workers. Transformed workers. So in the last few verses here, he talks about them, their prayer, their love uh, may abound more and more. He wants to see that godly affection growing. Yes, yes. Then verse 10, the reason being so that you may approve what is excellent 
And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of God, or the glory and praise of God. So what, what's happening here is that Paul is talking about this gospel effective transforming their lives. Romans chapter 8, when Paul writes to the Roman church, he's in chapter 8 verse 29 and following, he says, hey, you who have been called, you have those whom he foreknew, he called, and those who he called, he predestined, and he, those he predestined, he justified, and he justified, he glorified. This is a transformative process. This is that chapter 1 verse 6, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. The bringing it to completion is the process of making us more and more like Jesus. We are being transformed little by little. And so Paul says, that, hey, uh, again in Romans chapter 12, he says, this is something you need to take responsible for, responsibility for. Chapter 12, verse 2, when he says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Let Jesus transform you, is what he's saying. Let him transform you. By renewing your mind to be more and more like Christ. Set your mind on things above. Colossians 3 verses 1 to 3 where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things below on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. He is saying to us, we, our destiny is to be transformed. So that in the day of Christ, we're standing before Jesus at the end of time, pure and blameless before Him. And we're filled with the fruit of righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus that has been developing and working and growing in us and conforming us to Him so that we can stand before Him as worshipers glorifying Him, giving praise to Him, so that we're Revelation 5, we're Revelation 7, we're all the way at the end where we're standing before Him, a great cloud of witnesses from every tribe, language, people, nation, and we are before the throne worshiping the Son in all of His radiance, transformed by that worship. He wants that for us now. He's wanting to do that in us now. That's what the gospel does in us. I thought about this question. I don't know why. A few, few weeks ago, prior to um, sharing this passage with our, our youth group, or our students, uh, youth students at camp this summer, I don't know why it went through my head. What will people say about me when I die? Some, and, and for, for many of us, that might be a, a legitimate question to reflect on. And what are we doing with our lives? But, <laughs> so I think about Paul. What do you think he would say to that? I think he would say, who cares what they say about me when I'm dead? What are they saying about Jesus? What are they saying about God? When I die, will people say, you know what? I love Jesus more. I follow Him more because of that dead guy. <laughs> will, will people... Will people say, oh, he, oh he, he passed away? Oh, okay, great. 
Sounds good. Well, my focus is on Jesus. I'm, I'm looking to my Savior. Not He accomplished this, He did that, He built this up, He, he achieved those great things. Transformed worshipers, I, I pray that that's what my life is about. That when I die, there will be people, who knows, anywhere and everywhere, who love Jesus more. Because of maybe something I said, maybe a message I preached, maybe an encouraging word, maybe a prayer that I prayed. Who knows? I pray that when we leave this earth, people will be worshiping Jesus. People will be, will be living their lives to the glory and praise of God. And the beautiful thing about that is that we don't have to wait for that time. We don't have to wait to be dead. And we don't have to wait till we're all dead and we're before the throne. That transforming worship happens right now. When we gather like this and we gather in other places. The gospel has a great effect. Does it not? If you know Jesus, let me remind you to put your whole confidence in Him. Are you sure of this? Can you say with Paul that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ? Can others say that about you? What steps do you have to take today? What needs to be confessed? How do you need to get yourself right with God today? That's a question for all of us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we um, thank you for your love for us. We thank you for, for how you have served us. How you have been for us what we cannot be for ourselves. Our Savior, our Lord, our Redeemer, our Rescuer, God. We love you. God, your mercy is beyond measure. I pray, Father, that whatever it is that, that God has, has challenged us with today, what the Holy Spirit has spoken to us about, whatever that might be today, that we'll act on it and respond in faith to you. We love you. Give you praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.